0: Alright, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 starting in verse 53 if you want to turn there. Uh, We've got a lot to get to today as we look as we continue our series here in the book of Mark. And then today is also an opportunity for us to remember the death of Christ through the communion table. And so this morning we're going to have the opportunity to do some of those things. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life in which you have been faced with a trial. Now, um, now all of us have had trials in the sense of hard times in our lives, no question. I'm actually talking about the trial of, uh, you know, somebody is saying that you've done something that you haven't done, let's say, uh, or maybe you've done it. Either way, have you been in court? I guess I'll put it that way. Has there been a time in your life in which that has happened? Uh, for me, there was one time earlier, actually right after I got my license, I ended up in court for a traffic ticket. I was and uh, I actually argued my case and it was uh, it was something that honestly I felt and I still think I was innocent and yet because now never mind I won't get into that but because of lots of reasons they found me guilty and uh, I like you know I had to pay a fine and all that kind of stuff but I remembered the feeling of being in that courtroom trying to explain my side of the story and going through all the details that there was a a lawyer there that was asking me some questions. It was really weird, and it was, it, was, it was really uncomfortable. And yet I remember feeling like after the verdict came down about a week later, after I got a letter from the judge, I felt like I, the odds were stacked against me. I had no hope from the very beginning. I should have just pled to something smaller because I, no matter what the truth was, it didn't really matter because for whatever reason there was a story that was being told and I'm not the one that was going to prove it. Now, I don't know if you've been in similar situations, maybe not in the courtroom, but maybe just in life, where somebody has accused you of something, you've been, you've been, it's been said of you that you are a certain way, or that you have done something that you know you really haven't done. I mean, uh, and you've had this feeling in your heart of, I don't know what I can do, what I can say, and you've tried to defend yourself, and nothing matters, and it turns out that you end up being convicted anyway, or that person, or that, that rumor that's been spread, you can't defend against it. There's nothing you can do and that feeling that we would have if that has ever happened to you or if that ever would happen to you I think you can kind of put yourself in that position where you, have, you are innocent of charges that are being leveled against you and yet for whatever reason people won't believe you uh, and, and uh, it, it, that feeling that would be there would be one of desperation, it would be one of anger, it would be one of frustration it would be the, you can fill in the blank there. This morning we're going to look at the trials of Jesus not trials necessarily in the sense of hard times, although this trial is a very hard time for Jesus, but a literal trial in which He is being accused of something that is not true. He's being falsely accused, and yet Jesus knows that at the end of all of this, uh, what we're going to f- celebrate later on, at the end of all of these trials is He is going to face death. He is going to to go to the cross Jesus knows that and he's in these trials he's now uh, he's about to face these this courtroom these trials and he knows even though he's innocent that he will be found guilty and so as the fact is that Jesus is God and also man all in one the feelings he must have had at this point were just another example of the suffering that Jesus had to go through which has been our theme through the book of Mark So as we talk about the book of Mark, let's quickly review where we've been. I know we have some visitors here this morning that haven't been with us throughout the book of Mark. So let us just take some time uh, and do some review. So we're almost to the end of Mark, but so far, and this has obviously been whittled down really small to get it as small as we can. There's so much more that we talked about, but we've seen so far in the book of Mark that Jesus is seen as the suffering servant king, the suffering servant king, we talked about how that doesn't seem. That seems like an oxymoron there. How can you be a servant and a king all at the same time? And that's who Jesus was. Jesus is. Jesus came to be not only a servant to us all, but also to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. And Jesus has done that. So He's the servant king. Also in that, the idea there is that He is truly God and truly man. As the king, He is God. He is sovereign. He is in control. He, the kingdom has come because He is God. And yet he is a servant. He is a suffering servant because he came to earth in the form of a man, as a man. He came and humbled himself to be a man and therefore he will suffer. And so we've seen him as the suffering servant king who is truly God and truly man. We've seen that all along this process Jesus has been opposed. Many people have opposed him, especially those religious people who are saying, look, no, the, we have this figured out. we have got to obey certain things. You've got to obey all these little pieces to make God happy and as a, as a result he's been opposed by many who have not believed him and so they've rejected him specifically mostly by Jewish leaders Jewish leaders have rejected him because they're afraid to lose their authority <clears throat> as we went on in Mark we see that Jesus declares very clearly what his mission is says so Jesus's mission was to suffer and to die for all people Even His own disciples didn't understand that. Remember, when Jesus comes in the scene and people are believing that He's the Messiah, they're hoping that He's coming as a political Messiah that will throw off the bonds of Rome and that He will once again create a superpower there in Israel. And that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. That's what people's mind thought He was supposed to do. And yet Jesus made it clear that no, He as the Messiah was here to suffer and to die for all people. And then we also saw that Jesus teaches many times in the, in the light of the fact that He's going to suffer and die, He also teaches then that following Him, following Jesus means self-sacrifice. If we're to follow Him and His example, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who is God and man, if we're to follow His example, we will live a life of self-sacrifice. Throughout this whole process, Jesus shows and teaches again and again and again His identity to His followers. When people will say that Jesus didn't really declare that He was Messiah until the end of His life, the truth of the matter is if people were paying attention, they would have known because Jesus never hid that. Jesus was very obvious about that, of who He is, especially to those who are following Him. So He taught His identity to them. And then last week, throughout all of this happening, what where, not last week, a few weeks ago we had missions week last week, but we saw that Jesus is betrayed by those closest to him and is arrested secretly. We know the story of Judas giving him a kiss, he's the, he's the traitor, he, he, he's a traitor for Jesus and he kisses him and then he is betrayed and then Jesus is arrested and remember that was secretly and at night. Because once again if you remember the Jewish authorities didn't want to draw a lot of attention to Jesus being arrested because they knew that the people who followed him and believed him would really revolt, that there would be a mob that would revolt against them. So they had to do this by night. They had to do this secretly. And that's where we've been so far in the book of Mark. And as I said, there's so many more things that we drew out and we could draw out again. But in general, we see Jesus, who he is. We see what a follower of Jesus should look like. And we now are coming to the end of his life where there's a betrayal by Judas But not only by Judas, remember the rest of his disciples all turned around and ran away as soon as Jesus is arrested. And so Jesus has been suffering in so many ways. Physically, he's been suffering with rejection. He's now been suffering by the fact that those closest to him have turned their backs on him. This is where Jesus finds himself and now he gets thrust into a trial in which he is not guilty of anything and yet is being falsely accused. Just put yourself for a moment to think about what Jesus must have been feeling and thinking. We even saw a glimpse of that. as He's in the garden praying to God and saying, if there's any other way that this can be done, God, please let it be done. But even, but even with all that, he says, but not my will, not my fleshly human will, not the human part of me will, but your will, God's will be done through his suffering and through his death. And so now, as I've said before, we begin the spiral until we get to the point next week where we'll see Jesus die on the cross. But before we get to that part, and before we are able to celebrate that and remember that through communion, we need to talk about these trials. So we're going to be in chapter 14, verses 53 to 65 to start. Alright, so we're going to be in verse, chapter 14, verses 53 through 65, if you would follow along with me as we read. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony about jesus to bring him to put him to death but they found none for many bore false witness against him but their testimony did not agree And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple, that it is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. Now what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. This is the first stage of the trials of Jesus. We're going to see that He's tried before the Jews and He's tried before the Romans. And this is the beginning of it all. He is arrested at night secretly and now He's brought to a secret trial of the Jewish authorities. And that's where we start. Jesus is tried before the Jewish authorities. And what do we see in this passage we just read? Well, the first basic thing we see is that they bring Him before this trial and they're having this court case and there is no reasonable evidence that could be found to convict Jesus. There is no reasonable evidence. They are asking all of these people to come and to testify against Jesus. They want to accuse Him of blasphemy. They want to accuse Him of something that they could kill Him for. And yet witness after witness comes and their stories don't line up. And in Jewish day you needed two or three witnesses to, all, to agree in order to convict somebody. And so they didn't have the two or three witnesses they needed that... Could actually agree with one another now the thing is this is obviously being done to bring false witness they're probably being paid off these witnesses I will say this they didn't do a very good job of of prepping them but whatever happens here they don't agree there's always something small or something even bigger even one thing they try to say they twist what Jesus said here when they talk about the temple Jesus did say that the temple would be destroyed in three days but it'll be risen up again he was referring to his body but the people didn't get that, and they thought, okay, we can take that. But remember, he never said that he will destroy the temple. Right? That's what they're trying to say. He said, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Jesus said something similar, but they're twisting it to make it sound like something he didn't really say, and that's what they're doing. But even in that, for whatever reason, the witnesses couldn't quite get their story together. And so Jesus is is under these false accusations. There are false witnesses being brought against Him. They are trying to find a way to kill Him. It's at night. It's secretive. And their witnesses are not getting anything done. There is no evidence that can be seen. But despite all of this, this is what is so amazing and important to see what Jesus does. How does He respond? Well, what Jesus responds with is with silence. See, what is our first reaction if somebody is to falsely accuse us of something? I would say most of the time it's not just to be quiet and say, okay, whatever, if you want to say that, you can say that. I think most of us would want to come right out against it. We'd want to fight. We'd want to argue. We'd want to prove ourselves to be right. We'd want to prove our innocence. We'd want to prove what we know is right. But yet Jesus, here, he could have done that. Let's not lose this. Jesus, the God of the universe who created all things... Infinite wisdom, he could have, he would be the best lawyer in the world. He could have talked himself out of this. He could have brought the truth. He could have completely won this argument, and yet he doesn't do that because he knows what he has to do. That his mission is to continue to suffer, that his mission is to die on the cross so that he can pay for the sins of the world. That is what Jesus knows he has to do, and so he stays silent. He doesn't defend himself, he doesn't argue even though he would be well in his rights to do so. Which is why the high priest gets a little confused in in verse 60, because he stands up and says, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? He's he's saying, Jesus, you're not defending yourself. And part of this is because they wanted to trap Jesus. They wouldn't have been able to, but in their prideful minds, they would have thought that they could. But Jesus continues to be silent. So then... Uh, The the high priest decides, all right, well, we're going to take a little different tactic and ask Jesus a specific question. And in this question, we see that Jesus declared the truth of his identity. Jesus declared the truth of his identity. And in this question, the high priest says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? What he's saying is, are you the Messiah, right? That's the first part. Which a lot of people have said they're the Messiah and honestly there's no way that they could prove that he's not the Messiah. And honestly with everything that he's done many people believe he is the Messiah. But now this second part is interesting because they say are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? But then the second part that the the high priest asks is are you son of the blessed now this would be their way of saying the Son of God. They, they didn't use the name of God because they were so afraid really to even use His name. And so here is a reference that has been used other places in history and in Scripture to refer to God. And what they're asking now is, so are you the Messiah? Are you the, the political the one to come to save us? But are you also God? Are you also Son of God? Are you also deity? And Jesus says with no question, He says this, I am. Now if you know anything about this phrase, I am, you know that this is one of the many times that Jesus says this phrase throughout His ministry. God called Himself the I am when He spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And Israel knows that this is not something you say unless you're claiming to be God. And Jesus says, I am. And then says, And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds Of heaven. You see, Jesus finally speaks, but notice he's not defending himself against charges, but he's speaking the truth. That's what Jesus does here. He says, Yes, I'm the Messiah, and yes, through the I am statement and through what he says, I am God's Son. But here's the interesting thing that I think Jesus really says, and if you think about the context here, he's being judged by the high priest, he's being judged by the Jewish authorities. And in a lot of ways, what Jesus is saying is He talks about being set on the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying this, You might be judging me now. You might think you have the upper hand. You might think that you are the one that is judging me, but in the end, I will be the one judging you. So Jesus is making it very clear. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I am God. And yes, I will judge you. Not the thing you'd want to say if you wanted to be found innocent of something. At that point, then we see Jesus is charged with blasphemy. He's beaten and he's sentenced to death. Now he's sentenced with blasphemy because he claimed to be God. So in their minds, he was blaspheming because no one can claim to be God but God. But in, our, in, in the truth, he was God, he is God, and he's able to say he's God because he is. He's telling the truth, but because they won't believe him, then they convince they convict him of blasphemy of claiming to be god when you're not that's what blasphemy is and that is a a, in the jewish culture in the jewish religion that would be an offense that would be worthy of death and so that's what they have to do they have to really use their own unbelief to be the reason that they can charge him with anything but then we see not only is he charged but he's beaten we see we're told that that uh, he was condemned and people began to spit on him, cover his face, and to strike him and say, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So he was beaten, sentenced to death. This idea of prophecy. what Prophesy, prophesy. What were they saying? Well, they covered his face and they're hitting him and they're basically saying, tell us who did it. They're mocking him. So it's not just even a physical beating, but it's an emotional beating. It's a mocking. And that's what they're doing to Jesus during this trial. See, Jesus, we're going to... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but today we're going to celebrate and remember Jesus' death, but we can't forget the journey to the cross. And this is where Jesus is showing that He's willing to suffer for us. So that's His first trial, and then we see that comes to an end. Um, The second trial is going to come in just a moment, uh, but there's a a parenthesis here in which... Mark, who's writing from the perspective of Peter, wants to include a part of the story that is happening kind of in the peripheral. And so we see now where we're talking about Jesus is tried before the Jewish authorities. As Jesus is on trial, Peter Peter is also tried in a different way. So as Jesus is on trial, Peter is also tried. And we're going to see that in verses 66 through 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again, and began to again say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, while the bystanders were again, said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. wept. If you remember back just a few chapters in the book of Mark, where Jesus tells Peter, The disciples that they're going to flee and Peter says no even if I have to die I'll stick around even if I have to die I'll be with you that's what he said to Jesus and Jesus says no before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times Jesus told him that and Peter didn't believe him Peter didn't believe him so let's see what so now we see the fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy that Peter indeed does do this, but let's just look at the, the surrounding idea here. You see, Peter witnessed the conviction of Jesus. Let us not forget where this comes in context. Peter follows at a distance, as we're told earlier in chapter 14. Followed him at a distance, uh, stayed in the courtyard, was sitting with the gourds warming, guards, warming himself at the fire. That's what we read earlier in 14. And now we see that Jesus, has, or Peter, while he's by the fire, he has been in the area, a witness really to what is happening to Jesus as he's being tried by the Jewish authorities. It's interesting here that Peter didn't desert Jesus yet. If you think about it, remember, they all turned and fled, but apparently after Peter fl- flees, he then decides to kind of follow along at a distance, still keeping his distance to be safe but also wants to be there, to be with Jesus as he's going through these trials. And so Peter, Peter hasn't deserted him yet. Now, there's two options for this. Maybe he's trying to prove his loyalty. Remember, he just said to Jesus, I'm going to stick with you till death. Maybe he says, you know what, I'm going to stick with him because that's what I said I would do. That's a possibility. The other thing could be also, maybe he wants to be around and he's waiting to see what happens because, once again, He's believing that Jesus is this great, this Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome. So if he's going to be arrested and he's going to die and all these things that even Jesus has already said are going to happen, Peter wants to see maybe, maybe Jesus is going to you know prove him wrong and this is going to be the opportunity for Jesus to show himself uh, even stronger. Whatever the reason is, we know that Peter has followed and that's what he's witnessed. So you think about where Peter is and then we see that Peter denies Jesus three times just as Jesus said he would. Peter denied Jesus three times just as Jesus said he would. At the third time he actually swears an oath that he didn't even know Jesus. Not only that he didn't follow Jesus but that he didn't even know him. Like no, I swear on everything that is important to me on everything I swear I don't know this man. That's how far he was willing to go. And man, it's easy. And we just actually, at our vintage uh, meeting on Wednesday, we had the same, similar message. It's so easy for us to think, man, that Peter guy, what an idiot. Like, why would he deny Jesus three times? Like, why would he do that? What did he just watch? He just watched the man that he had followed for two to three years, he'd been following Jesus, Jesus who is the Messiah, and he is declared, Peter has declared to Jesus that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that's going to make everything right. And Peter now has watched this man that he has given his life to, and he's not defending himself. He's being convicted, he's being beaten, and he's been sentenced to death. Peter has watched or heard all of this happening. And then we wonder why, why would he deny Jesus three times? Because he knew that if he didn't, he would be in the same boat as Jesus. He knew that there was no hope for him because Jesus couldn't even defeat the, the, the trials, so therefore he wouldn't be able to either. You see, he was facing almost certain death, beatings, mockings, all the things that Jesus is experiencing, Peter would have had to experience those as well, and Peter's smart enough to know that, and so he gets scared. He gets upset. He doesn't know what to do. He thinks all is lost. Hope is gone for Peter at this point. And so what does he do? He denies Jesus to preserve himself. Which, yes, is something that, that he shouldn't have done. It's a sin. But my question to us is, have we done the same thing because we're afraid? Because we can live in fear and we then, we then can walk away from Jesus. We can deny Him with the way we talk. We can deny Him with the way we live. We can deny Him in so many different ways. And we do it because we're afraid. We're afraid of what people would think. We're afraid of what might happen if we really profess Christ the way we should. You see, it's easy for us to judge Peter, but just put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He's scared. Jesus is lost in his mind. And hope is gone. So we see then, though, that Peter failed the test. This was a trial, a test to see if he was truly as loyal as he said he would be. And he wasn't. So he failed the test, but he was, and he was overcome with sorrow. Overcome with sorrow. You see, his pride in himself has now been completely destroyed. Whereas just a little while ago, he said, Jesus, I will not leave you. I will even go to my death to follow you. And what he said did not happen. Actually, what Jesus said would happen did happen. He denied him three times. He knows as soon as the rooster crows that second time. And in one of the other Gospels, and I'm forgetting which one it is now, but it tells us that Jesus, I think it was Luke, actually looks at Peter at that moment. So the rooster crows. Peter just denied Jesus three times, and apparently Jesus is being led out of the chambers, and Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Now I don't know what Jesus' look was like but I was just reminded on Wednesday night that there's knowing who Jesus is I don't think this is a look of I can't believe you would do this. I believe that this was a look of Jesus looking at Peter and Jesus was saying I still love you Peter. I knew this would happen. I knew you'd walk away but I'm still here. He's overcome with sorrow. You see, really, Peter understands that his pride has been destroyed and he has now broke Jesus' heart. I don't know if you ever broke somebody's heart before. Maybe your child. Maybe it's something simple or maybe something deep where you've watched somebody's heart be broken and the hardship of that to even watch happen and Peter knows that he's been the one to do that. Leads me to a quote I heard this week because I was actually studying for our epic lesson tonight. So if you're coming to Epic Teens, this is a spoiler, but... Um, I want everybody to consider this question in your life. What would happen if we thought of sin not as breaking God's rules, but as breaking God's heart? Let me say that again. What would happen in our lives if we thought of sin not as breaking God's rules, but as breaking God's heart? You see, we're told that God grieves over our sin. I'd say there's never anger there, but... We break his heart, not his rules. It's to change the way we live. Quick aside, and then we've got to move on, but just to remember Peter's story, right? Because we've got to understand the, the, what happens with Peter. Because right now it looks like Peter's done for. He walks away with sorrow. He leaves in sorrow. He has failed. So that means Peter has no more hope, right? He's gone. He's written off. We don't see Peter again in the rest of the Bible, Absolutely not. That's not true. We actually see Peter in a very prominent role. In the book of John, we see Jesus sits at a fire with Peter and he asks Peter three times if he loves him. Peter, he, he, he loves him as a friend, he loves him as a friend, and finally the question is, do you love me with everything you are? And, and that's what Jesus is asking Peter. He's getting Peter to reaffirm his love for him, and then Jesus says, feed my sheep. He gives, them, gives Peter a mission, he says, Peter, I'm going to leave, but you need to feed my sheep. You need, to be, you need to continue on this mission that I've started. And then he even tells Peter that he's going to die a similar death that, that he is going to die. And so what do we see here? We see, you could, we, on Wednesday we called it redemption, but you can call it anything. But what you're seeing Jesus say is, yes, you've failed, but that doesn't define you forever. Yes, there was a failure. Yes, you denied me three times, but I still have a plan for you. You see, Peter's failure wasn't permanent. And this is what I want to, why I even say any of this. We need to understand that ours don't have to be either. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've failed God and you know you have. <clears throat> Maybe you're somebody that's never even come to know Jesus as your Savior and the life you're living right now is a life in which you know deep down inside that you are just turning your back on God every chance you get. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you know Jesus as your Savior and yet you know in your life there's some issue or there's something that you just can't quite give to him and you continue then to fail him. And I don't even want to say fail him in the sense that it condemns us because that's the whole point. Jesus will forgive. You can move forward with Jesus. Jesus is not saying if you've failed that somehow you have no hope for the rest of your life. You can still come to him and he will forgive and he will allow you to continue. And we see what happens to Peter in the book of Acts. He gives the very first uh, public sermon as 3,000 people end up giving their life to Jesus as a result of Peter sharing the gospel. You see... Jesus wasn't done with Peter just because Peter was done with Jesus. So Peter's sorrow turned to repentance later on and we see that God will use him in incredible ways. And I just wanted to say that it's not really for even today as much as it just is an aside to say, Jesus, even if you've failed, even if you know that you've done things you shouldn't, Jesus will be there to forgive and you can still move on. It's not permanent. Moving on to the last part of today's sermon as we look at the next trial of Jesus, Jesus is tried before the Roman authorities. First of all, he's tried before the Jewish authorities and now they bring him before the Roman authorities. That's in chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, How have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to to release to one of them a prisoner whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, one who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he said to them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of the envy of the chief priest that had been delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said again to them, Then what shall I do with the man who you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released them for Barabbas, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So we see that the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate. And what they do this for is to endorse the death penalty. You see the Jews didn't have any real authority to kill anyone, especially now they've done it. Don't get me wrong, the Jews have stoned people, they can they have killed people. We actually see that even In the future, that happens without the consent of Rome, but let's remember who Jesus is. Jesus is a popular rabbi. There are crowds, thousands of people who are following Jesus, and so since it would be such a public death, the Jewish authorities know that they can't just often kill Jesus, but they have to go through the hoops. And that's what they do by coming to Pilate so that he will endorse the death penalty. Only the Romans could kill someone legally, could do this legally. So Jesus didn't have, or the Jews didn't have this real authority to kill anyone, especially a notable celebrity, which is really what Jesus is at this point. Everyone has heard about Jesus with all that he's been doing and all that he's been teaching. And so they know that Rome has to do this. But notice, as you look through the whole context of this and in other Gospels, we will see that the charge is slightly changed because the Romans, Romans don't care if you come and say this man has committed blasphemy. They're going to be like, I don't care, whatever. He, anybody can call themselves God. I don't. That, I mean, why would the Romans care? So what they do then is they instead call him the King of the Jews, and what they're saying is that Jesus is wanting to rebel against Rome and to set himself up as king instead of Caesar. That he's not willing. That he's not willing to submit to Caesar because he is calling himself king. And so, this is what they bring to Rome. They change the, call, the, the charge from blasphemy to rebellion, so that Rome would care and Rome would put him to death. Now, it's interesting too to remember, as he comes to Pilate, a lot of times we don't know the background of Pilate. I looked a little bit into history about who Pilate was, and let's just say Pilate wasn't a very good guy, and Pilate wasn't really a very good ruler, actually. And uh, he would end up being taken off of his post because he couldn't handle it. And he commits suicide because Caesar didn't trust him anymore. That's after all this, obviously. But Pilate is known, this, was his, this is how he was known, that he was harsh, that he didn't care about anyone other than himself and he would do whatever it took to promote himself. The things he would do, the things he would say, it was always about self-promotion, He didn't care about the people that his charge were under. He had no respect for the Jews. All he was there for is because it was a political step up. See, Pilate was known for that. And he was also known that he would do anything and anything. It didn't matter who he hurt or what rules he would break. He would do whatever it takes to make himself look good. That was his reputation if you look in history. And so now we find that this is the man that Jesus has been brought before. And that's going to play into what we see happen. <clears throat> again, we see that Jesus didn't defend himself. In this process, they bring all these charges before Pilate and Jesus just stays silent. Once again, he could have defended himself. He chose not to. He knew what the plan was. He knew where it was going. He knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew all of this and so he didn't make a case for himself. Even when Pilate asked him a specific question, Jesus says, or Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so the understanding of that is well you've said that not me because he didn't walk around calling himself king of the jews because jesus wasn't there to overflow a political or overthrow a political power he was there to redeem people from sin after all the conversation with pilate then it becomes obvious jesus didn't defend himself but his innocence was obvious it becomes obvious even pilate knows Pilate knows that Jesus is simply a victim of a jealous religious system. As we read this, it actually says that uh, he wants to release them, the king of the Jews. And it says in verse ten, "For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up." Pilate understands that the reason that Jesus is even here is not because he's actually done anything wrong, but because the Jewish authorities are jealous and they don't like him and they want to get rid of him. And so Pilate uh, sees innocence. Jesus could have made his case, but he doesn't. And so you would think, okay, if Pilate, the one who is the judge, the one who sees that there's nothing that Jesus is doing wrong, surely he would let Jesus go. That's not what happens. Pilate actually does try to save Jesus in a couple different ways, but pressure led him to consent to Jesus's crucifixion. See, first of all, Pilate tried to release him and he says, I can give you Barabbas, or I can give you Jesus, the king of the Jews. I can give you your king, or I can give you this guy that's just going to go around killing people. And they choose Barabbas, because the high priest, the chief priest, convinced the people that Barabbas is better for them than Jesus. And so, Pilate tries this, but they want Barabbas released instead. And that's what he does. Then he has him scourged, you know, it whipped to the point where he doesn't even resemble a human some people would even die during scourging. And he's whipped to almost to the point where you can't even tell that he's a human. Pete, Pilate does that. And we're told in the other timelines of the, of the Gospels that this happened. And then he presents Jesus before the crowd and says, look what I've done to him. I've punished him. Isn't that good enough? And the crowd still yell, crucify him. Pilate tried everything he could do, but in the end... He, went, he goes against his conscience. He goes against what he knows is right. And the reason he goes against it, the reason he delivers Jesus to be crucified, and yes, we know that he washes his hands to, probably, to pretend in his own self that he has no guilt in this, but the truth of the matter is is that he wants to satisfy the crowds. That's what the Bible says. Even though he knows Jesus is innocent, even though he's trying to figure out a way to get Jesus out of this, in the end, Pilate cared more about himself and the approval of the people than he did about truth. And so he gives Jesus up for crucifixion. It's an interesting thing you'll see because you've heard this before. There's been many times where people will say that there is certain people to blame for killing Jesus. In the past, people have said it's the Jews' fault. The Jews killed Jesus. Others will say, no, the Romans killed Jesus. But the truth of the matter is all people have called Jesus, killed Jesus. Our sin brought him to the cross, but even in a very real sense, a very practical in reality, not only did Jewish leaders condemn him to death, but so did Roman leaders, Jews and Gentiles alike. All people consented to his death. All people can be saved through his death. And so now we've seen the trials that lead Jesus to the cross. Next week we'll look at the cross, we'll look at His resurrection, we'll look at the truth of why He had to die and how he, His coming back to life gives us true hope. But let's not, in our emphasis on the cross, forget the other stuff, forget the context of what Jesus has done and gone through for us. And so we see these trials and there's a couple questions to ask and then we'll move on to our time of communion. The first question I want to ask is have you accepted the truth about Jesus? Have you accepted the truth about Jesus? You see the Jewish authorities would not accept the truth that Jesus is God. They would not accept that truth and so they put Him to death. They killed Him because they wouldn't believe His testimony. And the testimony that we are given throughout Scripture is very clear. That Jesus lived a perfect life while on the earth. He came down from heaven and the Creator of the world came down to heaven to pay for the sin that had been committed way back in the Garden of Eden. The sin that separated us from God forever. Jesus, God Himself, comes down as a man to live a perfect life, to go to the cross and in that process to minister, to heal, to show Himself as the servant King to suffer so many different things that ultimately culminates in His crucifixion where He dies on the cross. And we're told in Scripture that as He dies on the cross, He is, he is uh, appeasing God's wrath on sin. That He's paying the penalty for sin, for you, for me, for all the times that we've turned away from God and done our own thing. You see, the Jewish authorities wouldn't believe that and they condemned Jesus to death. Will we believe the truth of Jesus? That he lived and died for us and then he rose again to prove that he has power over sin and death. And that all we need to do is come to him in faith. Turn away from the way we want to live and instead live for him. Turn away from our selfish life and turn to him. Trust him with our lives. Repent and trust. Will we do that? And if you haven't done that today, as I say every week, don't wait any longer. You don't know what tomorrow holds. If you need to know more about what you need to know about Jesus how you can know Him as your personal Savior, have a relationship with God again, if any of those things are true, please talk to myself afterwards. Talk to someone you know who knows Jesus. They would love to share with you how you can know Him and truly believe what He said about Himself. A couple other questions for those who are here that don't know Jesus or do know Jesus, that if you've given your life to Christ, listen, just like Peter, are we afraid to declare Christ? We've got to ask this question. Peter was afraid and he failed. Now Jesus used that and Jesus ended up redeeming Peter and he ended up using Peter in a mighty way. So double question here. Are you living a life right now of fear? Are you so afraid that you won't declare Christ to the world around you? Do you don't be like Peter, right? Don't be like Peter. If, you, if you Rely on Christ's strength to declare truth even when you're afraid. But also, have you failed in the past where you have denied Christ in some way, shape, or form because you were afraid or because of any other reason? Come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Repent of that, and He still has a plan for you. Trust Him in that. Finally, the last question is, do we follow Christ or do we bow to the pressure of people? Do we do what is right? Do we follow Christ? Do we follow what we know we need to do, what God has told us to do, in every circumstance or do we allow peer pressure to dissuade us from doing what we know is right Pilate knew what was right Pilate isn't a christian we are so we have the power of christ to help us make holy decisions but so many times we let people tell us what we should choose instead of looking to god so do we follow christ or do we bow to the pressure of people Really, do we fear God or do we fear people? We've got to ask that question. And if we're fearing people, then our people are idol. Our people, we've made people are God. And God himself is not as important as others. And that's not the way it should be. Let's not make the same mistake Pilate did. Let's not make the same mistake Peter did. Let's not do those things. And ultimately, let's all accept the truth of Jesus. And so with all that in our background, we are going to move on to the communion table. And As we move to the communion table, I just want to say a few things. <clears throat> First thing is, uh, I know that there's a lot of guests and visitors here with us this morning. I want to invite anyone here who knows Jesus as your Savior, who has given your life to Christ, who has said, I've accepted Jesus' death on my behalf, I've repented, I've turned away from my life and I'm living for Him. If you have done that and you know you have a relationship with Jesus doesn't matter if you're a member of our church, doesn't matter if you this is the first time you've attended or the 100th time you've attended, if you know Jesus, we would invite you to take these elements with us.